2: Welcome to the Virago podcast, a monthly celebration of books, reading and writing brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Hey, hello! Hello and welcome to the first Virago speakeasy at Pages! Hooray! Um, I thought, um, since Virago means uh, the the Latin for warrior-like woman and it appears in the thesaurus alongside hag and harpy and witch that this would be the perfect way to uh, mark Halloween and celebrate witches in all of their mischievous, wicked, legendary, and literary ways. Um, It is amazing to see you all here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so we are exploring and celebrating the place of witches in literature and in society. And here with me is Shariq Hussain who wrote hey. the Virago Book of Witches and Imogen Hemis Gower who wrote The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock. Um, I would like to kick off tonight by talking about all of our favourite witches in literature. Some of you might have written these on postcards but I'd love you to kind of just stick up your hand and share them. First of all, I am going to ask Shah to give us a bit of a rundown on the categories of witches that she found when researching her amazing global collection of stories about witches.
3: So, really, there are loads and loads of categories and they all overlap, but try to condense them right down. We came up with um, nature witches, um, violent witches, um, my (laughs) favorite. Then there were sirens oh I sirens think. and
2: and wise women
3: and wise yeah. women, so all of them have ambivalent qualities about them. The siren is you know the la belle d'ensemble uh, witch who in <coughs> entices her um, you know innocent, handsome young men takes them over to the land of the fairy and has a great time with them, but then they grow old when they go back. Huh. Um, so. It's a bit cruel, uh, but she does it again and again, although those women do that again and again. Then there's uh, the violent one. They're generally the ones who want to get um, get their vitality and their sexuality back. So they try to get it from children, other women, but most frequently from men. Um, in Arabic folklore, you often find... Uh, Little like, bits and uh, stories about witches chasing little boys to grab their willies. <laughs> uh, great way to get. Never quite mortality. explained what we're going to do about with it, but uh, <laughs> then um, the nature witches are protectors, really, uh, but like nature, which is often very violent and uncompromising, so can they be if, they're, uh, if you wrong foot them. And finally, there was.
2: The wise women. Oh, the wise women! They're
3: yeah, one of my favourite like ones. I usually like my witches mean, moody, and magnificent. <laughs> but, but those, uh, the, the wise women are wonderful, and I think they're often overlooked. They're the ones who will give you some advice on the road or beg for something, and in return for whatever you give them, they'll do something nice for you. The they helpers, the protectors, fairy godmothers. We've been called hemwives, and I can go on and on.
2: No, great. I think let's hear from the audience. Has anyone got a favourite witch that they want to share with us? Go for it. Ursula the Sea Witch. Oh, oh yeah. Brilliant. What an amazing, <laughs> amazing. one. I don't know where she would fit in because
3: she's not really a Violin. siren. Definitely, she's violent, a sea witch yeah. though. Water witches and sea yeah. witches would be nature witches.
2: Yeah, see, there's that, but she's not really protecting her kingdom. She's totally getting revenge, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, and and so she's then she's a nature forward.
3: witch as well because they get their revenge if they're mistreated. The so. Ah,
2: so she's she's well within her rights. Yeah. basically is what we're saying. Um, any other contenders out there? Oh, come on! So many witches. What
1: about the Grand High Witch, Royal doll's Witch? Oh yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> isn't she absolutely I brilliant? Mm. <laughs> I think she wants her revenge as well. Yeah. But then she's getting her vitality from children, maybe. Mm. <laughs> well, they do steal children,
3: that. don't they? Those witches and yeah. that book, I'm yeah. Very
4: scared of her. That is the most yeah frightening book that I remember reading when I was a kid. Which like is terrifying the stuff about the kids, what happens to the children when mm-hmm. they get leeled away is like oh. I
2: know. And turned into porpoises and yeah, stuff. I, I quite that. liked it how <laughs> in yes. the kind of Norwegian culture they didn't really mind that their children were being transformed <laughs> into porpoises and other okay. It's normal happens <laughs> around here that kind of thing. <laughs> Clearly they had a lot of connection to magic. Um, I saw another hand go up. I don't know if this counts but I really like Mottish Adams. oh yeah
1: she's she's like fairly witchy so i want to be able to count her
2: yeah definitely i think she can she can join in tonight it's halloween she's allowed
1: i'm going with lady hale because oh yeah (laughs) because women have often been persecuted for being outspoken and educated and yeah yeah we are the granddaughters of witches,
2: you weren't able to burn. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. I think Lady Hale is definitely a wise woman. Yeah. She's there looking after us all. I saw her hand go up. The, I just remembered the worst witch. No. Was it oh. 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 Yeah. that the,
1: the, the little black cats on the broomstick, and it was
2: witching school. It was like a early Harry Potter, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harry Potter yeah. totally stole the idea yeah, from totally her. <laughs> I, <think>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I liked her very much as well. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's great. Imogen, what about your favourite
4: witch? <laughs> um, well, we were talking about it earlier, and I was like, well, oh, no, you're going to make me think of a favourite witch now. And then I realised, like, all of my early childhood, along with mermaids, I was really into witches. Um I think and we lived why I a- invited you. <laughs> <laughs> a kind of, like, general witch thing. Um, uh, um, we used to go, we lived quite near Pendle Hill and we used to walk up Pendle Hill a lot I used to like get in full witch costume to walk up Pendle Hill when I was like six or seven Explain
2: what Pendle Um, Hill is Pendle Hill, so
4: the Pendle witches were, this was kind of part of the hysteria during the 17th century of witches in kind of the English countryside of particularly kind of older women or women who for one reason or another kind of cast out especially this kind of I I think there was a a kind of gut fear particularly of single women or widowed women and stuff Mm -hmm. that they're very often cast as, um, as having powers that they shouldn't and this is translated into witchcraft um so during the 17th century they have this whole thing of like rounding these witches these women up who they think of as witches they do full body searches incredibly violating to look for places on them where the familiars and the devil might have suckled and this kind of thing so pendle the pendle witches this is in lancashire yorkshire kind of area and they I think they rolled them down the hill in barrels down Pendle Hill because Pendle Hill has a really um, stark profile. It's like kind of flat, 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 and then it goes. Yeah. Um So and that I think they lived around there, and this is the folklore of the area that this is how they
3: were disposed yeah. of or how they I know were, they did that kind of thing. They were thing to sing. in the end, weren't they? It was well, Gallows they Hill, yeah. They were tortured. They were. There were nineteen of them in a small room, you know about and them. they were so. Uh, crammed in there. It was about the size of, um you know, one of those little box rooms people have in their houses as a third bedroom, that sort of thing. And they were so tightly packed together that they couldn't actually, this upsets me, <laughs> that they couldn't, um, <clears throat> they couldn't even fall. Oh. So... <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's horrendous. The way that they tortured people—it's extremely um, violent.
3: and so um, they were really wanting to die, and and then they were eventually hanged. It's it it, it was based around the Devis family, Um, old Mother Demdike, who lived on the lands of a rich uh, (coughs) landowner, and uh, he—they just started to persecute them. There's also all this religious stuff because they were. From the old religion and the Anglo-Saxon religion has, had come in and, uh, I mean, um, Anglican Church had come in, so um, Roman Catholics were also being persecuted, and this all fell into the same category, you know, persecute them, get rid of them, they're dirty. There was in fact a squire who got hold of the nine-year-old Devis' daughter, and um Coached her to speak in, in court and, and um, give the evidence that would uh, prosecute those witches. Um, well, it's a long story, about, but but that's yeah. that's basically how they came to be condemned, and they were all hanged together. It's called Gallows Hill. <clears throat> Gallows Hill now.
2: It's funny but that that's remained in our popular consciousness as Pendle Hill is this place almost that you were celebrating witches in this time so they didn't succeed did they in kind of destroy no, poor, few, you were yeah. the poor. These
3: women. Yeah. If you were poor you could uh, it, it was very easy to get review and they were ignorant so they mm. would be coerced into telling lies. Yes. Members of the family is, would say something which they thought was gonna save them and it would turn out to be, you know, be misused and it was very clever people against, Mm. powerful, clever people against a very small bunch of, um, you know, very poor, poor, uneducated people who maybe made a love potion or a healing potion or Mm. something for, uh, to make a little bit of money, but they were poor, I mean really poor, so that they literally ate what they could get off the land. Often just, you know, yeah. Heather and all sorts of things like that.
4: But I think this is the thing. Like, if you are a person who is slightly unprotected and you're doing things like making medicines mm. or doing charms and stuff, that then that kind of helps you be included and people come to you for mm. help. When the tables turn, you don't know how to defend yourself like that yeah. you don't have the vocabulary to protect yourself and everything that you've done, I suppose, for the community or within a community that you live suddenly becomes a weapon yeah. against you.
2: Yeah, yeah. It absolutely. It um, um, still happens now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to uh, start talking about the, the Book of Witches that you've collected together. Sure. Um, so you've, you've basically feels like you've gone around the world and picked out the most diverse, fun... <laughs> Strange um, and startling stories about witches from all over the place. Um, Did you find that the idea of the witch varies from culture to culture? um, Yeah,
3: it varies quite a lot. In Europe, it's pretty much across the same, in the same sort of spectrum. So they are women who are generally um, outspoken, strong, powerful, powerful in themselves, but not at all in any other way. Um, and there are other people trying to um, get something out of them or get their land or get them out of there, or they might be asking for a coin. As in the case of... uh, In the Devis case, in fact, what had happened was that Alison Devis, who was about 12, followed a tinker and said, give me a pin, and he um, slapped her or something, Mm -hmm. and she said, oh, I'll curse you. Well, a few steps further along, the guy had a stroke and he ended up, you know, being looked after by a doctor and being kept in and so on. She thought her curse had come true and so she confessed that she had cursed him and that that was the reason. And that kicked it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just tragic, tragic mistake, people waiting to bounce on them. There were also the women who had property Or a profession like midwifery rarer than the other or were having success with their healing potions herbalist uh, stuff and the worshipful societies of um you know the gynaecologists other doctors Mm -hmm. midwives midwifery particularly um the gynaecologists wanted to keep to themselves and they wanted these women out of it so you they know, the basically stole way. their
2: businesses, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. They got rid of them, and then they took over their their business yeah. that they had in their commerce, as a way to make money. Yeah. It was it's absolutely fascinating what you dig
3: up. Call someone a witch, and she uh, you, know, you can get rid of her.
2: Mm. Then, apart from that, you find stories that are totally different from our understanding of the European sort of version of the witch.
3: Yeah. Like in
2: Native America. Uh, but even, and in yes, India. Native
3: America. In India, we have very interesting witches. Um, their feet are back to front.
0: <laughs> and
3: um, they mumble when they talk, and they like to swallow the livers and hearts of children, and they do it without touching them. So, we <laughs> not where I grew up in Pakistan, which is very um, urban and, and, you know, quite westernised. But when my grandparents lived in India, um, we were told if someone calls out to you and you can't recognise the voice, don't say hmm in response, say yes loud and clear. Uh, because apparently if you say that, she has a, a, a sort of mantra which she rhymes with that hmm somehow and gets access to your liver and heart, therefore children are often found, <laughs> leading to, internally bleeding to death in odd places. Have I got time to tell a little story about it?
2: Yeah, why not? <laughs> Go for it.
3: Um, <laughs> at this house, there was a, at my grandparents' house, there was a, a sort of veranda uh, uh, by the porch, and a woman came and sat there, and she had her face half covered, and I could just see a very large nose, and her clothes were twinkling in you know, those um, mirror work things, and she was weeping copiously, and she kept saying, "You know i 'm a witch, M- me poor witch i 've been chased from my home for eating all my children i 've eaten fourteen children, and I was there getting more and more stuck into that story, but How old also you? feeling terrified. I was talking about eleven, I think." Hi. Terrified, but just couldn't move. And um, my great-aunt kept sort of thinking, and I thought, I can't go. And I was there listening to the story thinking, God, this is one of them. She actually says she's eaten her children. And my um, great-aunt then called to a servant and said, take her back and give her something to eat and some clothes and so on. And I thought, why is she doing that there's so many kids in this house
4: and, <laughs> and I asked her I
3: so, what were you doing that for and she said oh don't be silly she's not a real witch that's just a way of um, you know talking to a woman whose children keep dying either if she has miscarriages or if her children die at birth they say oh witch she kills her children she eats her children you know so that really did stick in my mind in a very profound way because I thought you know, shouldn't they be having a bit of sympathy instead of cursing her and chasing her out of the village? Because, I mean, I know it was very... Really I'm going back about 50 or 60 years but uh, just for the story, but even then, you know, it had gone on for a long time and I think it still does.
2: I think, so I think that appears okay, quite a are lot. Chaser.
3: The yeah. African witches are different as well. They like to eat human meat and they appear as... Um, flying balls or sparks. Yeah. Um, Also women who are often chased out of their villages. Yes, yeah. Um, Yeah, and then, of course, there are all the fun stories as well, which are basically either to mock the witch so that you don't feel frightened of of her as you're growing up and you don't have to turn the... You can turn the lights off at night. Or uh, because it demystifies. But also, around the fireplace way, way back, it was also because... um, uh, women, um, because children were being prepared when they go out into the world to, to face monsters. Mm-hmm. So monsters and witches were a big feature of those early stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to meet this creature. She might help you. She might not. But, you know, you have to deal with her and get past it. Do
2: you think there's a very uh, practical Oh, yeah. The, the, the earliest stories,
3: stories were definitely a
2: yeah.
3: combined form of entertainment and teaching.
2: Brilliant. Um, Anyway, I'm going to come to you and ask you about uh, The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock, which is uh, a kind of brilliant bringing to life of a mermaid right into the middle of George and London with all of its merchants and courtesans and money. Um, And you you bring those two worlds together so brilliantly. Um, You did quite a lot of research on mermaids as well, didn't Mm. you? Did you find that some of those uh, stories correlated with the the witches that we talked about? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think...
4: I want to say that there's, like, this kind of large body (laughs) in folklore of magical women who have this, uh, I suppose,
3: like,
4: I think qualities that we quite often attribute just to fairies, kind of elves Mm -hmm. and fairies, this kind of, like, equivocating um, magic. Yeah. That, like, it's the same with a witch that if you you don't know where they're hiding you don't know whether what they're offering you is safe for you you don't know what they're concealed in um and i found um a lot of the folklore around mermaids was very similar mm. that it's this kind of that on the one hand they are dangerous sirens and they will lure men away mm. um which i think kind of functions as almost i kind of think of it as a kind of a, a displacement of blame that when you are talking about people going on very long voyages and being away from their wives for a long time if you say that the women he might entangle with he does against his will in this kind of like Odyssean kind of way, like they were magic, you couldn't help it, it's not really being unfaithful, or that the woman who lures them away is kind of cast, is outside of the realm of reasonable society, she's not allowed in, she's on her own outside, it's fine. It makes it... It makes a community feel safer and, like, they are not to blame.
2: Um, it's a little bit like the way that courtesans are separated mm. from the sort of rest of nice yeah. society, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the same narrative.
4: Yeah, I mean, like, a mermaid might be a them. scarlet woman. It might be, like, a lady in Portsmouth
2: or something. <laughs> I you know <laughs> there are a lot of scarlet ladies in Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah. but, um,
4: but that's kind of one side of the mermaid. But then the other side is this... There's a sexual allure, but there's also the idea that she can curse villages or Mm -hmm. people. She could empty your cradle. She could kill the child in your cradle and keep it empty forever. Mm -hmm. She can kind of curse your village. Um, uh, And then the other thing is this huge (coughs) kind of grief and longing that a lot of the things that compels people towards mermaids is not... This kind of erotic pull that it's actually a, um, a kind of grief and longing, a, um, almost like, like nostalgia. Yeah, um, yeah, almost death wish kind of thing, and that's something that is, I think is repeated in the book quite a lot. Yeah. In, in your book, this uh, is an allure that's not a happy one. It's not a positive one, yeah. and it's something that will completely clear your head out. And make you no longer recognise the people that you love, or take you away from your home for a long time until, when you return to it, there's nothing there that you, you know, that that, that you remember that was yours.
2: You don't belong anymore.
4: Yeah, exactly. I, I think that it was that like lack of belonging and kind of sad drifting that really attracted me to telling a mermaid story. I guess as much as I think that the book, you know, it has humour it and it's fun and. Yeah, colourful. I, I Kind of at the core of it, it's all fine. That I wanted there to be like
2: a real human feeling of grief, and that being yeah. quite a magnetic thing, actually. I think that the sea represents death in quite a lot of literature, and obviously we all think sex and death are kind of all wrapped up. So the fact that you put the mirror of a kind of erotic pull and a kind of you know it's a pull to the other side. Mm-hmm. It's what we've lost. And that we're constantly kind of looking out for and yearning for. I think think it's also
4: this kind of like liminal thing um, that I think one of the first depictions of mermaids um, are so kind of Roman era coffins. They have people who are kind of, they're humanoid things, um, but they might be winged or they might have uh, kind of fish's tails and they're the things that take you from one world to the other. So it's all to do with death. It's like... So this is why angels look like they do, because they have, you know, they're, they're people, but they have wings. They're people, but they've got one foot up in the air. Um, and in a, a one of the Roman traditions is like that death to get to the world of the dead, you cross water, and this is why you meet these people with these fishes tails. Why they're important
2: to help you across. So the sea yeah. and mountain tops
3: yeah. are portals to the other world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. places Amazing. that are kind High of yeah. Low.
2: Yeah, so actually, that's most—that's probably the most helpful version of a mermaid I've ever heard about, the fact that they might help you cross over. Um, most of the other ones I tend to find sound, sound quite kind of tricksy. Um, yeah, I think, but that is quite a really old classical one, yeah. and they're like, all.
3: I'm just going like to go off now. But grief is, grief is a very powerful uh, association for mermaids. If you think of uh, one of the very earliest goddesses, Atargatis of uh, Persia, um, and we have a Mithras temple right here in the middle mm. of the city. Um, that was her son, but also her lover. So they follows the cycle of the seasons. She would give birth, um, and you know, the seed would be planted. She'd give birth. The child would grow up in the same way as a, 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 corn, a kernel of corn is planted or a grain of wheat is planted. It grows up, and then you have to cut it. And after you've cut it, uh, you sow it again. And after you've sowed it again, um, it starts to produce shoots and and is born. So it's a bit like the resurrection of Christ as well. You know, on the third day, you start to see sprouts. A lot of these things um, that we know today as part of the the Christian uh, literature is actually rooted in some very old stuff. So Atidatis used to eat her son, and she was um, eventually cursed by one of the gods and turned into a hot fish. And um, I think that it's a revenant of that in the Melusine story. Have you heard the French story about Melusine? She was another mermaid. Um, she was a princess, and I think she looked out to the sea. Water. I can't remember exactly what the details are, but her father, the king, cursed her, and so she got the, the, the bottom half of her of a mermaid. The yearning and the, absolutely hauntingly you convey it in your book, I have to say, which is quite a feat because we don't know the mermaid, we don't know why the thing is, but I, I was really feeling quite haunted. It's, it's when you go into a place that's very miserable or where something really horrible has happened and there is an oppressive atmosphere a sort of, of grief and melancholy and that um, is associated with mermaids too because of what they've been through. I mean the mother may have to eat her child kill her son as a uh, sacrifice because that's what keeps the the world turning and and you know the fertility cults and you know all of those people did what they did in order to uh, keep the crops growing and all the rest of it Maybe. but there must have been grief
2: mm. yes so it's a, they're, yeah, they're so kind of sucking people in
3: because of all and the same with sedna the sea witch yeah. mm. who was forced to marry a seabird and then went underwater and pulled the sailors down and all the rest of it.
2: There is one yeah. story in your Terrifying. collection um, called The Nixie that yeah, was so yeah. similar to the what happens to the couple in Imogen's book um, that I, I just kind of almost couldn't believe it. I felt <laughs> like you must have kind of read it or you know, it must have come from there. But I think it's because it's such a deep tradition. Yeah, um, it, is. it comes up. I think that kind of thing comes up again and again in that...
4: Area of folklore is
2: like
4: yeah, yeah. You see it again and again, especially with mermaids, especially with elves and fairies and stuff. Like
2: it's, it's amazing.
3: It was that potent. motif, wasn't it, about the husband being separated from the wife, and in your book as well, when when he finds the mermaid, he no longer has time for his his wife, and his wife can't understand him. And she's given up her glamorous life, and she's now married to him, and she's thinks it's because he's guessed that she's had a miscarriage. But when she tells him about the miscarriage, he is shocked and says, I've been neglecting you, and then leads her to the market. So the story changed. But it's the it's same with the Nixie. Yeah. Uh, the young man who had been promised to the Nixie uh, but had managed to escape because his parents wouldn't let him go near the mill pond um, finally uh, forgets and, and gets snatched. So the wife goes out trying to find how to get him back and is helped by a witch. She eventually gets him back, but after a couple of false starts, doesn't she? Mm. And it's the same with your stories. It's like people
2: don't recognise each other after going through that amount of trauma. As indeed,
3: metaphorically, your characters didn't. They couldn't recognise what had happened to each other, why they were so changed.
4: Yeah, it's funny, uh, writing the book, how there were some things, a, a lot of research beforehand that informed the way that I wanted to take it, and then other things that I read after I'd written the book that I thought, oh, okay, right, mm. there it is. Like, it, it's, it, like, weird, or, uh, you could call them coincidences, but actually I think it's a it, it was a case of me writing within a particular mood and genre that there mm. are... And also that writing that particular book, I wanted to understand the rules of these people's imaginative mm. and, like, superstitious world. Mm. Um, so, I uh, actually, when I find things out that it's like, oh, this all adds up properly, it makes me feel like, well, I must have done the ground research properly yeah. to uh, be able to, yeah, to have managed to take something to a logical conclusion that I hadn't necessarily...
2: Yeah. It's like right. being given all the ingredients and you happen to follow the recipe without actually having the recipe. Yeah. You just kind of, oh, I made the same thing. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, it's not really something
3: to do that. with the collective unconscious, maybe. When mm-hmm. you're read researching the stuff, there's lots of stuff that swirls around yeah. Yeah. and that we've inherited through the centuries, through the ages, and uh, you instinctively connect to certain things. You, know, you have two very subtle references to other kind of sea witches as well. You have... Uh, you. Briefly mentioned sirens at one yeah. point, and you also mention the silky wife, you know, the seal yeah. wife. When she says, Very good, oh, fine, if you can't get me a mermaid, just get me one of the silkies. Um, <laughs> so a silky is a seal who turns into a woman at times and belongs to a fairy tale motif called the fairy bride. So a man will capture her and you'll agree to marry him as long as he doesn't interfere with things. But eventually, he doesn't want her to go, and it always happens that he breaks some taboo. She goes back to the sea. So great. it was great that you you brought those in. You know, I mean, it was great for me because it, I enriched it because I also knew about those things. But I'm sure there'll be people who go off and look it up.
4: <laughs> it's quite interesting about the Selkie, though, because I think with... And there, and there are kind of... So often with the Selkie, it's like, so the man will catch her and put her sealskin in a bottom, mm-hmm. like lock it away so she mm-hmm. can't get it. And she's trapped in his house. Um, but... And this, they kind of did the same with landed mermaids. That then yeah. you'll take her as a wife and keep her in your house. But there's loads of kind of narratives around that of these women being weird, like uh, things like they. Um, there's one where there's a thunderstorm and all the milk goes sour, and the woman just laughs because she doesn't. She doesn't care. She thinks it's silly that everyone's making this big fuss about there being no milk today. Um, and people feeling that that is an hmm. irresponsible response. Like a good housewife would be distraught, but she doesn't care. It's clearly a sign that she's she's a seal.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: these
4: people are still kind of magic and weird at the core. That yeah, you could look at someone in your own village and be like, "Well, they don't respond properly to things." And people it. do. Yeah,
2: exactly.
4: Yeah, and decide yeah. and conclude that this is yeah. because they are. Yeah. Um, a free, um, yeah, an outside.
2: Yeah, I want to talk about trinities because this was a really fascinating part of of, um, of your book. Um, we're all familiar with the kind of Virgin Mother whore I trinity of uh, of womanhood as as uh, seen by the patriarchy In my opinion, um, but <laughs> in in the witches, you found this amazing thread of trinities in lots of different religions and cultures um, that are all linked to the moon. Could
3: you explain yeah. that? It's, um, it's female triads, and, and they're actually, you know, we have the uh, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they have Zeus, Potter, and, you know, whoever the two Apollo and somebody. Um, so the, these female uh, ones also existed, and they um, were aspects of the moon, the cyclical workings of the moon. So they were divided into the virgin who was the um crescent moon the mother was the reproductive season and she was uh, she was fecund and you know fertility goddess and had a lot of sex and had a lot of children and um and so forth and then the the, the third stage was the dark moon when the moon disappears and that was the crone or the hag that the woman who guarded the darker mysteries of life and had secrets which could possibly harm you, but, you know, you didn't know. As someone said earlier, you know di- you didn't know what was coming, um, what she was going to give you, whether it would be good, whether it would be bad. And, of course, <laughs> what people, men through the ages, I mean, I'm not talking about modern men, hopefully, but... Um, were very worried by this. You know, a a crone was a woman who still enjoyed sex, but um, she withheld the blood. She stopped menstruating. These are all connected with the moon, so it's the tidal seasons, menstruation, the changing of the cycles, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, shape of the moon and so forth. And so one great concern used to be that withholding the blood or losing the blood, probably means that they need to get that blood or that vitality from somewhere else. Uh-huh. So where were they getting it from, and why were they holding back the secret of <coughs> reproduction? If women could do it, why could men not do it? Uh, so there were all these uh, these fears, and I think one of the greatest fears that comes up again and again, even in that hideous, hideous work called the Malice maleficarum which is the Hammer of the Witches, which is written by a... A uh, um, uh, German, a Dominican friar from Germany, and he. Um, can I read out something? Yes. Can I read out a quote from the Malishman I mean, you, there's no mistaking this this terror. So I quote: The witches themselves have often been seen lying on their backs in the fields or in the woods naked up to their very navel, and it has been apparent from the dispositions of their limbs and members which pertain to the venereal act and orgasm, as also from the agitation of their thighs, that all invisibly to the bystander, they have been copulating with the devil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this,
3: this took anything between 35 to 100,000 people to their death this kind of garbage so and then he says somewhere else the pleasure should naturally be greater when like disports with like yet that cunning enemy can so bring together the active and positive elements not indeed naturally but in such qualities of warmth and temperament that he seems to excite no less degree of concupiscence so what you know, <laughs> you are not supposed to enjoy sex. Women are not supposed to enjoy sex, and that uh, seemed to be a very. Um, there was the thing about the mother goddess as well, which I think is very important. The mother goddess had all parts. She she was she held the trinity, so she was all parts. There came a stage which uh, in which um, Mary was elevated to such an extent that she was almost a disembodied person, a presence, a very powerful but disembodied presence. And at the same time, the witch persecutions were catching on. And um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Anne-Marie von France. uh, She was one of uh, Jung's colleagues. And uh, she's written quite a lot. And there's a book called Shadow and Evil in Fairy Tales. And in that she says, if the mother goddess... um, if the mother, mother goddess is split off from her other half, she will fight back. And the fight back is the expulsion of that, is the split. You know, you have the good side, which is disembodied. So if you think about Mary, she's a very uh, ethereal character. You don't see her. She, she even conceives without having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't hear anything about the birth. They're you know, looking for a manger, and then the baby's there. And then she disappears, and she reappears when he's dead. I mean, there is, there is a bit in some of the Gospels where she makes an appearance somewhere, but nothing much happens. And then suddenly she's elevated to this extent, completely split off for any human, physical, embodied side, uh, a side that may have some kind of uh, female desires and femaleness. And she is Theodocus. She's the mother of God, and that is all she is.
2: Yeah, it's very unrealistic.
3: And so, <laughs> then the pers- <laughs> persecutions happened um, yeah. around the same time. I'm sure there's no um, no coincidence about it because they happened all right across the the That's Western considered. world. Ireland didn't have it so much because they had a very proud and strong tradition of um, of their own um, <coughs> gods and culture and so on. So they beautifully melded it all together and St. Patrick was very clever at doing that. So Christ became the Sun God because the Sun God was the most powerful one. The Sun Christ and so forth. So that continued beautifully. So the Trinity very few kind of persecution. Yeah. yeah, and there was a Trinity Change in, in um, Celtic lands as well, yeah. which was the Morgans, you know, so you have Morgan Le Fay and yes. her sisters and the fact that she's been completely split off from her original position which is the Goddess of Sovereignty and it was, it was her, she was a healer, she was a very talented healer. Later on, when Thomas Mallory came along, all that got thrown out and she just became the woman who did all the bad things to her brother. In fact, there was a concept called Sacral Kingship in which if the king did wrong or became ill, then the land became, things went wrong with the land, and the land became ill. So the function of sovereignty was to guard and train and keep the king on his toes. In order to do that, she had to put him through some tests and trials and, you know, punish him or push him in the right direction. However, when he died and and got a wound that wouldn't kill him but was going to grow worse and worse, she was the one who prevent well, it... It wouldn't kill him because she took him away to the land of Avalon to be looked after. But you know, you get that, you get a couple of lines of that, but you don't get any of the sense of what she originally was. Yeah. So do you find we we reclaimed it in Temptresses, didn't we? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We did a book called Temptresses, and uh, she's one of the characters.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. I think um, I wanted to talk about the the feeling that you've managed to kind of create this triad in the mermaid of mrs hancock as well mm. and i don't know whether that was conscious or unconscious but i kind of i was reading it um obviously in preparation i thought i feel like mrs chapel could be a witch she's described <laughs> as such in some ways and i wondered yeah, whether she, that was um, oh i won't do spoilers. spoilers but i feel like the way yeah, yeah. exactly um what happens to Mrs. Chappell at the end? Not not very dissimilar to no. the witch trials and so on. Um, I That was interesting that you said that. So that
4: you felt that the triad is Angelica, Mrs. Chappell and... Uh, uh, Suki. Suki. As the Virgin. So my original thing was that there is a triad and the triad is first Mrs. Hancock... Angelica yeah. and the Mermaid, ah. of a triad mm. of, like, someone, a lover that you don't have anymore, the one that you do, and the perfect, unreachable <coughs> one, yeah. of those being the three points in this triangle. Mm. But then I think in Mr. Hancock's house, there are three women, which is Angelica, Suki, and his sister. Yes. Um, and in the brothel, there's the three girls, Polly, Eleanor, and Kitty. Like, I, I did... It's funny that I, because I've never come across this idea of triads, the, the triad of women, to do with the moon and, and to that this repeating motif of three three women goddesses making wholeness. Yeah. Uh, but I was definitely in the book trying to make triads of women. Yeah. Maybe because, I don't know, like maybe three. Three's a crowd, like, that's where the story starts, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like it's that, the that's three that's in a marriage.
2: People, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Three people in this marriage. I mean, uh, talking of marriage and so on, there is um, uh, one thing that I really liked about... Oh, I mean, I say liked, I'm not sure whether it's something to like, but, but all of those women that you say, the, the Virgin in the crescent moon, the Mother um, in the full moon, and, and the Hag in the dark moon... Um, the way that they're described it, they're all obsessed with sex, they all kind of want something from men. And I would really like to kind of put this to the crowd and see whether people think that that notion is representative of kind of real women's desires (laughs) being properly um, explored and um, out there without shame, or whether that is more of a kind of uh, projection of men's desires and fears about women's sexuality. Uh, Can you put your hands up if you think it's totally representative of women's desires, you know, and very empowering that all of these witches are kind of after men all the time? Whoa! Okay, cool. Amy, um, talk to you later. Um, um, and so, does everybody think there's far more likely that these are this is what men are scared of? Lots of nodding going
4: on. Okay, men and yeah. men influenced people.
2: Yes, like
4: you. Yeah. I, I think like it's what a patriarchy is scared of, rather than what men yes. specifically are scared. Absolutely. Mm. Um, what was I gonna? I had another point to add to that. I, I, I also what I found interesting reading this book is that there are so many witches in folklore, but like by necessity, they are not from the point of view of the witch. Yes, like there are not. There are not really historical fables passed down that are like, I am a witch, here is all the machinery of how it all works. It's very much like whispering around what witches are and what they might do to you.
2: Absolutely. I think I noticed that in in all of them, there is uh, not a single witch who's a protagonist.
3: Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think they are protagonists because they're the ones who move the engine of the story and make the good things happen. So it's always, you know, there are two women of at either end, one who needs to be protected or punished, and often a man in the middle who is protected by one of the women and not by the other, Hansel and Gretel, for example. Mm. Um, So... What was the question?
2: <laughs> we never, well, we never see them, that's that's a really yeah. good answer. I think you're right, a protagonist drives the engine of the story. I kind of wondered whether they're like always the antagonist. The, 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 the person in the story who we're supposed to relate to as a reader is the kind of innocent child or whatever and then the witch is the person that they're either having to fight. Well that's the perfect
3: outsider, produce. isn't it? Someone who yeah. enables empowers, affects society, affects things and, and brings forth very strong feelings. Yeah. And so, in a sense, they're the kind of, uh, yeah, the power behind. And the fact that they're shadowy and you don't know what they're doing is because they are. They are mysterious. They're guardians of various mysteries. They seem, in the story, unfortunate. They seem to be, th- the girl goes to her nurse for yeah. help, and the uh, nurse keeps sending her out to places where she gets into terrible trouble until, in the end... Her, her fate is amazing you know yeah. she, she's really successful i love this it wouldn't have happened story. if she hadn't yeah. been pushed.
4: my question exactly. about unfortunate is that when the queen is told one of your daughters is the one who's bringing all this misfortune on you and she's like how will i ever know which one it is why didn't she think about the one that was called unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't she
3: wasn't she was called fortunata well later she's called fortunata No, her name was Fortunata, I changed the title. Oh, okay. (laughs)
4: Because I was
2: like, I think the clue was in the name. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) absolutely. It's absolutely brilliant. This girl has to go through so many trials, and in the end what she has to do is go to the the hag, uh, Destiny, who's been controlling her fate this entire time and making all this trouble for her, and she has to wash her. She has to take all these rags off I her, she has that. to wash her down and and, and sort of uh, get scent, scented oils and brush her hair and dress her in nice clothes. And it's kind of like you've got this vision of this kind of batty old granny just kind of batting off her granddaughter or something and she's saying, no, 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 we've got to you know put you in something nice. And when she's transformed into a lady, her, the destiny of the young girl is as well. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Lovely oh, yeah. story.
3: Pomeranian story so Yeah. yeah.
2: It's a, so that's that's a great example of of the witch being but you more tactless. Could her antagonist. name had been
3: unfortunate? <laughs> um, it was because she was such a scruffy little scamp, wasn't she?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we do say that openly. It not good
3: to be that. Even I remember my mother fishing out photographs of me sitting in a pond scowling <laughs> my other sister wide brimmed white hat and flowers and I Well another fairy tale image so right t-
2: there t- the so t- I t- always sisters. thought
3: I was Statterhood I was delighted yeah. to see the Norway story I loved Statterhood <laughs> went it. around with scruffy hair and did naughty things
2: brilliant and you haven't stopped I haven't stopped <laughs> <No>, Ty <laughs> t- looks lovely though she thinks I haven't stopped <laughs> um Talking of, of being from the point of view of the witch, mm. your book does have sections written from the voice of the mermaid. What was that like to write? Um, it was really... I really enjoyed that. Um, I can tell you a weird story
4: about how that came to be as so, well. So I'd written quite a lot of it, and my housemate at the time read it, um, and was like, well, what you need here is the voice of the mermaid. Why isn't the mermaid... Can, you need to go away and do that. Yeah. Um, and I... Actually, that was really easy because I had attempted to write a story, a short story. This, this is why you write short stories because they fail, and you maybe you take something away from them. Um, uh, I was really—it was the year that um, God, what's it called? Blackfish came out. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was really interested in this thing of. So it's about orcas at the sea world, um, and how there's one that's been implicated in the deaths of quite a lot of people, humans, um, and they keep him performing, or they did for quite a while. Um, but there was this section in it about how mother orcas in the wild stay with their daughters, maybe for life, um, and they're not meant to be split up, mm. and that the orcas as a group have an incredibly well-developed there's something in their brain that humans don't have which is about empathy and socialness that they are meant to be together and that's and they think as a group um and there was a story in the documentary about they took a mother orca's calf away from her when it was a few years old to send to another park um and they had put her in this pool and they heard her making these noises that they'd never heard her make before and they realized that they were her long-range calls that she was trying to call across yeah, the ocean. Oh, it was like just that it's kind of grief and pain. This I- mm-hmm. and the idea of there being uh, a kind of group, a group mentality or a multiplicity of thought of information passing back and forth, and this incredible sadness was what informed the way I wanted to write that mermaid was that, I suppose, specifically coming from the point of a mother who has been robbed of a child. Mm. Um, And this, and the grief, which I always associated with mermaids anyway, that was... So I I attempted to write this stupid story from the point of view of a whale... Um, And it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. Um, And then it kind of suddenly, when my friend was like, well, we need the mermaid's
2: voice, then it suddenly kind of just clicked. I thought, oh, that's what I was doing that for. That's what that's for. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. I think it comes across so well. It's really haunting those bits from the mermaid's point of view. It's absolutely lovely. I think also from a functional point of view, it felt like if I was going to write an 18th century novel,
4: that in some I think in terms of language and maybe mentality is tries to be faithful to the literature of the period it also felt important to break that yeah. and to write in a way that isn't familiar to the 18th century that feel that is maybe inserts a voice that couldn't be there in an 18th century text yeah. um and makes I suppose it a relevant book for people to read
2: yeah now makes it kind of surprising yeah great um, I want to talk just as our last um, bit about what we're seeing right now, which is um, which is certainly coming back. I mean, this is the perfect moment to be having this conversation because it feels like they're all around us. They're in popular media. We're seeing you know, remake of, of one of my personal favourites from childhood, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, <laughs> I'll, although I haven't seen the new version. Let's check it out. Um, you know, Suspiria is being remade. We're seeing... Um, in America, feminists dressing up as witches to protest against Trump and the kind of patriarchal nightmare that he um, represents. Um, so, why is she back? Why are we seeing her again?
3: Okay, Lenny and I were talking about this one day but, when we were, when she decided to to, to reissue the book. Um, I think it's because people are very angry, and I think that Me Too has got a lot to do with it. It's given people a voice. It's given people the chance to talk and. Um, so everything is welling up Mm -hmm. and uh, what is easier than whether you are a witch or not to say you're a witch, style yourself a witch or try to be, uh, you know, uh, emulate the qualities or adopt the qualities that witches are famous for which is about being powerful, strong, outspoken very strong sense of yourself and your will and the ability uh, to, to... make things change around you make things happen be controversial some people do it for attention and I'm sorry but they do very irresponsible things like there's a rapper called Azalea, who was tweeting about it and putting it on her uh, website and so on and then wrote why don't we black people all just start using our African magic to kill everyone around uh, all the white people around us and um, then there'll be more of us and less of them. And of course the old, the the extreme right took this up and it was really as if there was really something afoot, that there was going to be this terrible magic. I mean, they, they'd take everything up and build it. And I think that... I'm not sure what the fallout was, but I know that there was a huge controversy about it.
2: I'm kind of reminded a of flashback. the woman on the path who said, I curse you, Yeah, and then a man has a stroke and you suddenly realise you're yeah. in trouble.
3: yeah. yeah. So I think in this day and age, especially with so much odd going on, it, you have to be a little bit more responsible. But I think basically it is about reclaiming power in whatever way you can. Yeah. And but there are actually serious witch covens, and because you don't have to be secretive about it anymore, they're like you know a poetry meeting or whatever. People will get together and talk about it. Women and men uh, are both witches, and uh, there is no um, no s- magic. Has no sex or gender. It's just magic, you know. It's, it's 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 about intent, isn't it? It's about focusing on your intent or what you want to happen. So it's a bit like life coaching or or um, um, focusing on something to make sure you achieve it. So spells. Don't have to have a formula or, or anything. It's, you know, it just makes people feel more powerful. And as we find with life coaching, the huge success of life coaching, that that is what clients are told to do. They they are told to write affirmations, to repeat things to themselves, to go through visualizations, and and so on. Keep focusing back on the. On the thing they want to achieve and then eventually it happened and that's basically what a spell is but interesting but yeah. things do happen there are things that have happened. Um, for example there was a case in California where there was a um, some years ago where there was a rapist who was attacking women joggers um, who went out early in the morning and a huge network of witches got together across California and did a networking session to catch this man. So you can't there are lots of rules about that kind of serious magic which is you can't change atmospheres you can't change, interfere with nature anyway. But you can hold something called a binding spell mm. and that binding spell uh, was that uh, he should not be able to he should not be able to achieve what well, was the thing about it was, police were baffled because there were never any clues uh, that he should uh, fail in his attempt to hurt anyone. Yeah. And, to and stop something to Yeah, to curtail his powers. I don't remember the exact wording, but that was it. And so he made mistakes. And within about three weeks, I think, of that spell, that, that uh, ritual, uh, he was caught. So that was very interesting. Now, whether yeah. they claimed it later or, or what it was, I don't know, but it was really interesting. Amazing.
2: Amazing. Do you, would you be uh, going back up Pendle Hill anytime soon? <laughs> um, In your hat? Yeah, why not?
4: I'd like that. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's a good place. Every time we drive past
2: it, I'm like a happy happy
4: thing attached to
2: that. Yeah. Um, Reclaiming. Mm, yeah. If you, had, if you could sort of, like, claim one power of a witch, what would it be? <laughs> um,
4: oh, I don't know. I think, like, all those... It's the tricky little things. I think... I think... I think one thing that witches do is reward good people. <coughs> like, when you've got this type of witch that kind of is an old lady by the side of the road or something, it's usually that they have seen something good or something that needs to be tested in a person and what they give them is a reward for that or maybe a bar for them to rise to that yeah. they might fail in their use of your gift but what what you give is a recognition of good behavior and what they could be
2: um i think that's
4: i, I like that I'd so you're going to be the wise woman yeah definitely very nice definitely wise woman
2: um guys we have some time for questions does anyone want to ask something of Shao or imo here
1: Stick your hand up if you do. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm going to try and make it a question because I don't want it to be a comment because that's not what it's meant to be. Um, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> <I> love <laughs> but it. I'm like it, going to try and be a question. <laughs> this bit's a comment. I've noticed that there's in children's uh, literature that you know the, the witch seems to be back, and I've got a daughter, and she's quite interested in lots of books that have have witches in them, um, and I just wondered my question is do you think that that is because um, from a publishing perspective for the past 20 years they've been in vogue and they've sold and and they you know they're kind of (laughs) they're back in that way in a commercial sense or do you think it's actually to do with us giving our daughters messages um, and trying to promote more positive (coughs) messages about girls and role models for girls and we can only find them in something a bit more supernatural
3: I think we've I think it's a bit of both things. I mean, there, there can be quite a lot of trouble in selling. Isn't, isn't there a problem sometimes with selling books about witches, especially in America? There was a big thing about Harry, like Potter Harry Potter being Potter, black thing magic. Thing yeah. and, you. Do you remember Witches? That was Does the it title they the changed Harry to Potter, Daughters of the Moon. It couldn't be called yeah. Sorcerers yeah. Yeah. to begin yeah. And uh, our book, uh, the first edition of Witches in, in America, was called um, uh, Daughters of the Moon, which was the title of one of the stories. So there are there are problems about it, but children have always been fascinated by them, and I certainly have noticed Alphaba, for example, *The Witch*, and oh, you know that guy rang me up once when he was researching. He was living in Hampstead at the time. And asked me to tell them all about the well, You know, green, is there such a thing as a green-faced witch? So we had long conversations about that, two or three. And suddenly this play was on, and I didn't even know the book had come <laughs> out. I was quite peeved <laughs> about that. So <laughs> <He just laughs> <gave, laughs> sent me a copy of the book. <laughs> <page. laughs> taken your power back. He didn't. Surely he put you in the
4: acknowledgement.
3: I don't know. I, I doubt it. Otherwise, That's surely he would have said, me a copy. <laughs>
2: Anyway. Well, let's put a binding spell on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them. So Wicked
3: you notice, old clothes in a week. Yeah. So you notice that those witches are actually <coughs> much more... I like alpha because she's ambivalent, which is what mm-hmm. a, a true witch is. She can be bad and she can be good. And also, that that's the kind of natural force. But also, because of this concern about nature, this connection to nature... Uh, Alphaba, I think, loves animals uh, and sort of fights for social justice and all sorts of things. So all of those things, those are role model sort of things, aren't they? And to, if you have a, a, a witch that's human enough uh, for a child to feel, yeah, I, c- I can, you know, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be like that. There are a few like that I've noticed. I'm yeah. Trying to think of others. But...
2: You just had a baby. Are you buying her any? Uh... Which oh Megan Mock, yeah, yeah. She loves Megan Mock. I Lock- loved my. I Work went girl. as Mock to a Halloween party <laughs> <laughs> when I was about five. Was Twenty seven years old. <laughs> oh yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um yeah, she does love Megan Mock, actually we read that a lot. And that's a weird story because now I, I realise Because it has like no Moral whatsoever. <laughs> like, just, at the end, she, there's match, she turns all her friends into mice and then she's like, eh, I'll fix it sometime. Like, it was, that, but anyway, the baby really, really loves that book. Um, uh, brilliant. I think, like, the witches, it is a way of putting girls central to a story, which I think is why the Harry Potter thing is mildly outrageous because it does pick quite a lot from things like The Worst Witch and all those school stories that yeah. girls. you know that have been written for girls for decades and decades exactly Exactly. but it puts a boy in there so now everyone can read it and it doesn't you know it's not it's not a special interest which is what books with female protagonists are it's like now there's a boy so everyone can read it it's a book for everyone i i I still you know maybe it should have been a hermione series
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> spin-off, spin-off. Yeah. Brilliant.
3: Um, there's some pragmatic stuff to do with that as well, though, isn't yeah. there? There's yeah. a huge push to get boys to read of a certain age, yeah. and they weren't reading. So but why you know, aren't boys
4: interested in reading magic when, in- when girls
3: are doing it? Well, that's the whole point. They weren't. You know, well, <laughs> know, because they want to be able to identify themselves. But and girls
4: say, identify okay. with boys all the time. This I think much girls broader. have
3: less of a problem identifying across the board.
4: Yeah, because I think that there is a male neutral, flexibility, But
3: that's yeah. a
2: whole... That's a whole conversation. other conversation. <laughs> um, guys, I love the idea of, of that mischievous Meg whipping off on her broomstick after causing mayhem because that's the, pretty much the end of the intro to your book. You say, you know, we can get all serious about the witch, but at the end of the day, she is just this kind of risk-taking, mischievous with yeah. character who's I having a lot like of fun. It, and willed. I'm very glad mm-hmm. that you all joined us for that conversation. Thank you so much. Round of applause a a special Virago and Pages event we are going to be doing a spotlight um, every time we do these events which is going to be four times a year so keep looking out for the Virago and Pages tweets we'll tweet about the events when when they're ready to buy more tickets but I would like to do a spotlight on the Virago modern classics so Mm. Virago have been publishing this list of uh, sometimes forgotten but often absolutely amazing women authors from across the centuries uh, for over 40 years years now, Um, and so we are going to have a little reading from our editorial director of the Virago Modern Classics now.
1: Hello, um, I'm Donna, and I run the Virago Modern Classics list. And um, we thought when we were doing this Halloween event, um, an idea came that we thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a scary story by candlelight? And then we were like, ah, bookshop, very flammable. But <laughs> very <laughs> um, so we started thinking about um, what writers we could have, and there are so- we're not very, we're not short at all on on dark, sinister, macabre writers. We publish we publish Daphne Du Maurier and um, Patricia Highsmith, so you know it's not it's not something we're short of. Um, but when I started thinking about it, I thought, why not have a writer who not very many people know, wrote ghost stories? Um, this is a writer who was petrified to be on her own in a room um, with no light until she was quite old. she, um, she when she write her. She said, until I was twenty seven or twenty eight, I couldn't sleep in a room with a book containing a ghost story. And I've frequently had to burn books of this kind because it frightened me to know they were downstairs in the library. (laughs) And um, what I find fascinating about her is that even though she was this terrified, she still wrote ghost stories throughout most of her life. So we're digressing. We're going from witches to ghosts. And one of the reasons I think she's such a good ghost storyteller is because she was so afraid. She said, The teller of supernatural tales should be well frightened in the telling, for if he is... he may be able to communicate to his readers the sense of that strange something undreamt of in the philosophy of Horatio. But her ghost stories aren't just about ghosts. They're about all the things that are brilliant in her books. They're about class, they're about sex, they're about power and powerlessness. And most of the stories in this collection are about the relationship between men and women. Um, So this writer is Edith Wharton. and the story that I'm going to read, read from is called Pomegranate Seed. Charlotte has married Kenneth, who is a widower, and they spend a really happy honeymoon together. And then she moves into his house, which he once shared with his late wife. Charlotte's full of trepidation, but he puts her at her ease, and then a letter arrives for his attention, and it's in a woman's handwriting. Then another letter comes, and then another... And each time a letter arrives, Kenneth looks more ill. One day, Charlotte spies on him when he's reading this letter. And he kisses it. When she confronts him, he denies an affair. And then he disappears. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte took up the envelope and stood staring at it. Sorry, this is just after he's disappeared. <laughs> and her letters arrived. Charlotte took up the envelope and stood staring at it as if she could force her gaze to penetrate what was within. Then an idea occurred to her. She turned and held out the envelope to her mother-in-law. Do you know that writing? She asked. Mrs. Ashby took the letter. She had to feel with her other hand for her eyeglasses. And when she'd adjusted them she lifted the envelope to the light why she exclaimed and then she stopped charlotte noticed that the letter shook in her usually firm hand but this is addressed to kenneth mrs ashby said at length in a low voice her tone seemed to imply that she felt her daughter-in-law's question to be slightly indiscreet i'm going to open it charlotte announced she caught her mother-in-law's stifled glance. But dear, dearest, a letter not addressed to you, my dear, you can't. As if I cared about that now. She continued to look intently at Miss Ashby. Mrs Ashby. This letter may tell us where Kenneth is. Mrs Ashby's glossy bloom was effaced by a quick pallor. Her firm cheeks seemed to shrink and wither. Why should it? What makes you believe? It it can't possibly. Charlotte held her eyes steadily on that altered face. Ah, then you do know the writing, she flashed back. Know the writing? How should I? With all my son's correspondence, what I do know is... Mrs Ashby broke off and looked at her daughter-in-law entreatingly, almost timidly. Charlotte caught her by the wrist. Mother, what do you know? Tell me, you must that I don't believe any good ever came of a woman's opening her husband's letters behind his back. (laughs) The words sounded to Charlotte's irritated ears as flat as a phrase culled from a book of moral axioms. She laughed impatiently and dropped her mother-in-law's wrist. Is that all? No No good can come of this letter, opened or unopened. I know that well enough. But whatever ill comes, I mean to find out what's in it. Her hands had been trembling as they held the envelope, but now they grew firm and her voice also. She still gazed intently at Mrs Ashby. This is the ninth letter addressed in the same hand that has come for Kenneth since we've married. Always these same grey envelopes. I've kept count of them, because after each one he's been like a man who has had some dreadful shock. It takes him hours to shake off their effect. I've told him so, I've told him I must know from whom they come, because I can see they're killing him. He won't answer my questions. He says he can't tell me anything about the letters. But last night he promised to go away with me, to get away from them. Mrs. Ashby, with shaking steps, had gone to the armchair and sat in it, her head drooping forward on her breast. "'Ah,' she murmured, "'so now you understand.' "'Did he tell you it was to get away from them?' "'He said to get away, to get away.' "'He was sobbing so that he could hardly speak. "'But I told him. "'I knew that was why. "'And what did he say? "'He took me in his arms and he said I'd go wherever he wanted. "'Wherever I wanted.' "'Oh, thank God,' said Mrs Ashby. "'There was a silence during which she continued to sit with bowed head "'and eyes averted from her dark daughter-in-law.' she looked up and spoke. Are you sure there have been as many as nine? Perfectly. This is the ninth I've kept count. And he has absolutely refused to explain? Absolutely. Mrs. Ashby spoke through contracted lips. When did they begin to come? Do you remember? Charlotte laughed again. Remember? The first one came the night we got back from our honeymoon. All that time? Mrs Ashby lifted her head and spoke with sudden energy. Then yes, open it. The words were so unexpected that Charlotte felt the blood in her temples, and her hands began to tremble again. She tried to slip her finger under the flap of the envelope, but it was so tightly stuck that she had to hunt on her husband's writing table for his open for his ivory opening letter opener. As she pushed about the familiar objects, his own hands had so lately touched they sent through her the icy chill emanating from the little personal effects of someone new- newly dead in the deep silence of the room the tearing paper as she slit the envelope sounded like a human cry she drew out the sheet and carried it to the lamp well <coughs> mrs ashby asked below her breath charlotte did not move or answer she was bending over the page with wrinkled brows Holding it nearer and nearer to the light. Her sight must be blurred or else dazzled by the reflection of the lamplight on the smooth surface of the paper. For strain her eyes as she would, she could only discern a few faint strokes, so faint and faltering, faltering as to be nearly undecipherable. I can't make it out, she said. What do you mean, dear? The writing's too indistinct. Wait. She went back to the table and sitting down close to Kenneth's reading lamp, slipped the letter under a magnifying glass. All this time she was aware that her mother-in-law was watching her intently. Well? Mrs Ashby breathed. Well, it's no clearer. I can't read it. You mean the paper is an absolute blank? Not quite. There is writing on it. I can make out something like mine and... uh, Come. It must be come. Mrs Ashby stood up abruptly. Her face was even paler than before. She advanced to the table and, resting her two hands on it, drew a deep breath. Let me see, she said, as if forcing herself to a hateful effort. Charlotte saw two tears run down her cheeks.
2: Well, that was... I just literally got goosebumps at that last moment. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, thank you so much again, everybody, for coming. Um, please stick around. Buy books. You can get them signed by Shah and by Imo. If you want to tweet about the event, the hashtag is um, Witches Speakeasy, and it's at Pages Cheshire Street and at Virago Books. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Virago podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and also leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We'd also love you to be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, virago.co.uk. Tune in next month for another installment of Books, Feminism and Conversation from Virago Press,
1: the international publisher of Books by Women.